culture eats strategy for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, is the quote that is often attributed to Peter Drucker, one of the patron saints of work wisdom. But what if culture didn't want to eat strategy for breakfast? What if they had breakfast together? Today on The Behaviorist, we take a look at how culture and strategy can work together collaboratively to help your company win. Welcome to The Behaviorist with Work Wisdom, where we help you adopt high-performance mindsets, behaviors, communication, and culture. I'm your host, Kedron Crosby. Our intention for The Behaviorist podcast is to share accessible, concrete practices that you can weave into your whole life to begin a shift toward joy and meaningful achievement. Today, we're focusing on a topic that's very relevant for every single one of our listeners, no matter what their field or how large their company. We're diving deep with those specific, concrete mindsets, behaviors, habits, which can help you shape a culture in a strategic direction. And we are so fortunate to have two insightful culture shaper strategists with us today to share their experiences and curiosities. Chloe Rich, Vice President of Brand Strategy at Atomic, and Sam Bressy, President and CEO of the Lancaster County Community Foundation. Thank you so much for joining us on The Behaviorist. Glad to be here. So Sam, um, what do you find most exciting about culture shaping? Well, it's a, it's a big idea. Yeah. And that's what I find most exciting about it. It's kind of the underlying unseen driving force behind everything. And if, uh, if we're able as, as community leaders, as, as champions in a community, as business leaders or champions in a business to shape, to impact, to guide culture, nudge culture, uh, we really can, can do big things. Amazing. Yeah, it is a big idea. And I love that we're trying to kind of wrap our arms around it today. What does it mean in a really concrete way? Thank you. I'm so glad you find it exciting. Um, so Chloe, why do you feel it's important as a business owner to be intentional about shaping culture in a specific direction? I think for me, it's two things that definitely intersect with each other. But the first thing being that it's about creating an environment where your team wants to come every day and enjoy themselves and have a really great experience. Um, but it's also about then having an effective culture that aligns with what your goals are for the business too. So obviously those things go hand in hand. If people are there enjoying their work, yeah. it's also gonna help you succeed in business. Absolutely. Um, but it, yeah, it's like laying a foundation of how you can then do your work. Yeah, it, it's such jet fuel for performance. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, excellent, okay. Well, in our work, uh, we find that most companies have a pretty clear sense of what strategy is far more than they understand culture. And so let's start our conversation by exploring culture first. So culture, it's a collective set of behaviors and habits, norms that are driven by shared values. So it's how things really get done, whether it's in a community or in an organization or a company, even in a family. So I wanted to illustrate this idea um, just by talking about my family of origin. So my parents were both raised in families um, where they didn't have much money. And so it ended up creating this culture of deep gratitude in my family. So, so it showed up in concrete behavior in that my brother and I 
ended up being the world's greatest thank you note writers. <laughs> I love so, that. So, yeah. I mean, it's just so interesting the way it sort of gets baked in. And then without even thinking about it, it shows up in concrete behavior. So, um, yeah, you should definitely see my stationery sometime. I have amazing stationery. I would love to. Oh, <laughs> yes. Um, so when you think about the cultures uh, that you're trying to shape, um, or at least trying to understand, if not shape, can you draw any ties between some underlying value and then how it correspondingly um, naturally shows up in everyday behavior or even habits? Chloe, can you think of any at Atomic? Yeah, I think anybody who walks into an atomic space is pretty much immediately hit with, oh, there's a really laid back casual vibe here. Yeah. Um, and it, it shows up in, in behaviors between the team members and, and things like that. But a really tangible thing is just like what we wear to work, for example. Yeah. Like you're going to see jeans and t-shirts and sneakers and not a lot of suit and ties. Not that we don't like suit and ties, yeah. but it's just not the, the norm because we do have this really sort of casual uh, feel to it. Yeah, I love that. So the the casualness, the laid backness, is the underlying value in it, and it shows up in behavior in physically what everybody's mm-hmm. wearing. Yeah. Okay. In the costuming, um, Sam, can you think about some underlying value here in Lancaster County that might show up in driving a concrete behavior? Yeah, I I've actually I thought a lot about that question and. You know, there are so many examples mm. and, and there are so many things that, you know, culture has to come from a space of authenticity. So it has to be, it, it's, it are, there are traits that are real, that are baked in. So as I look across Lancaster, one of the things that, that uh, we've actually been recognized for is our welcoming. Mm-hmm. So Lancaster City is actually per capita welcomes the most or has welcomed the most refugees per capita over the last 10 years in the nation. And there are programs and there are services that that support refugees and immigrants in our community. There's just a general sense, community-wide sense of of welcoming. And it, it actually is baked deep into the foundings of our of our community and b- deep into the Mennonite background, the mm. religious background, yeah. and it's real. And so when the BBC says we're the refugee capital of the world and there's a, there, there's just a string of things you can point to mm-hmm. that, that prove that fact. Yeah. So our culture is a welcoming culture and I think we should work, we should work to nurture that and elevate it. It makes us stronger. Yeah. I, I love that. That's so fantastic. I could go so, further and further with generosity. I know. I just, was thinking about that it, one. Uh, w- yeah. Which is my, you know, part of my business yeah. in, in philanthropy. And, you know, so one of the things that uh, we talk a lot about, um, and it's part of the culture as well is our humble nature. Mm-hmm. So in Lancaster, People will say, hey, I want to support you. I want to give you, but I want to be anonymous. I don't need credit. I don't need to be patted on the back. Only and, in Lancaster. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it's actually yeah. so extreme here. It's noticeable. Yeah. It's like, no, I'm, I'm okay. Don't, you don't need to thank me. But, yeah. uh, but that's the enemy of inspired philanthropy. It's the mm. enemy of inspired anything. So, you know, we've worked over the last several years to try to, in subtle ways, give people permission to celebrate their generosity. Mm to celebrate what they're doing yeah. so that they can inspire others. So Extraordinary Give is one of, a manifestation of us trying to enable Lancastrians to celebrate their generosity and overcome their humble nature. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. And I think that niceness of, mm-hmm. of the culture mm-hmm. also shows up in Atomic, which is interesting mm-hmm. to think about. Like one of the things we hear from our clients all the time when we ask, like, why do you come to Atomic? Why do you work with us? And they say, you're just nice people to work with. <laughs> and I honestly think that has to do with, I mean, having our home base here in Lancaster. Obviously, we have teams around the world now, but having that sort of core value there be something that's coming from our local surroundings. Yeah. I, I mean, I think we could go... We could probably have a whole podcast just on Lancaster County values and how they show up in behavior. I think even the creativity and the handcraft and the carpentry that shows up in in the arts, the the flourishing arts community in Atomic, in the fact that Rock Lidditz became a thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's and, neat. And, and sometimes it's just about holding up, kind of holding up the mirror and and, yeah. and allowing a community to look to, to noticing something mm-hmm. that exists in a community. Mm-hmm. And then holding up a mirror, lifting that up so people can see it in themselves mm-hmm. and more people can live into it. Mm-hmm. And it kind of, it creates a really a virtuous cycle. Yeah, I love it. I love this idea of, you know, f- noticing what's great, what's extraordinary and, and even uh, different about our community or our company and then shining the light on that thing um, so that it becomes a little more contagious even. Yeah. Um, So culture is typically baked in by whatever made the founders successful in the first place. I've found this to be fascinating to study. Um, Sometimes it shows up like the, the, the frugality of that founder was what made it thrive, you know, or, or the, the relationships or the grit or maybe the braininess or maybe that um, quick agility. So um, if you peel back the layers of the culture onion down to the founding DNA, you can see how it ties uh, into your own culture. So I don't know, Chloe, have you done any work thinking about this? If you, you know, was there something that was uh, the secret sauce of your father that has, has sort of followed through and, and made Atomic successful? Yeah, I think definitely. I mean, my my dad is a production designer, so mm-hmm. he comes with that design mindset to everything that he's done. And that is definitely baked into Atomic, that idea of like continually improving and iterating and there's always a better way to do something mm-hmm. and there's a way to design this so it's it's simpler and easier to use and all those things are so important to our success now 20 almost 26 years later. Um, that definitely it, it's just been a thread throughout our entire history. Hmm, that's really interesting. So that iteration, um, that trying something new, trying something new, yeah, constant yeah. Uh, improving mm-hmm. has, has been baked in. Okay, I love it. Well, so we use the Ed Shine iceberg illustration quite a lot when we're trying to explain what culture is. Um, and, you know, I, I like this I- iceberg metaphor because it helps you understand what's visible above the waterline versus what's invisible below the waterline. So um, what's above the waterline is how we say we get things done in our culture, like maybe our organizational chart or our named values or our mission. But what's below the waterline is fascinating, and, and it can actually be really powerful Sometimes it takes something like a deep sea diver to go under the waterline and pull up into the light something that is unconscious or unnamed or implicit. So when you think about what's most important to true culture shaping that needs to be brought up above the waterline, what do you think is really key? 
Um, do either of you have any any input on this one? When you think about what's below the waterline, some of what's below the waterline are our values or our norms, um, the stories, the shared assumptions. Is there anything under there that you think, yeah, you know, without really pulling that up into the into the light, <laughs> into the air, we're not really going to be able to shape how we get things done. Yeah, at the Community Foundation, it's it's we try to get to the why. Mm-hmm. We try to understand um, more than skills, more than strategy, more than um, just showing up and, and working hard and being passionate about what you do. It's, it's kind of why are you here? What do you want to achieve? And, and br- being able to have those conversations, mm-hmm. I think, what that does is it, it pulls in values. Mm-hmm. It pulls in personal values, and it enables us to kind of bring those to the surface. And when you're, you know, if you're an organization of more than one, you're going to have, you're going to have values that overlap and, and values that maybe diverge, mm-hmm. and that's okay. So organizationally, finding those overlapping values and those essential values and having conversations to lift those up into the, into the light of day, yeah. I think, is, is really important. So we do a lot of conversations about that. Yeah. Well, you know, one thing I have been so impressed by is um, that your organization looks at your archetype and you have really meaningful, kind of hard conversations about who are we? What's our identity? And I feel like that is deep sea diver work, that you're going underwater to just have these sort of wrestling these que- these questions. It's it's actually, it's actually, it kind of makes me laugh a little because, you know, we, we land it very firmly as visionary systems. Citizens. Yeah. So as a company, we view ourselves as kind of being able to see a little bit over the horizon, mm-hmm. but being with our community, not being out in front, not, you know, we're really not doing anything besides noticing opportunities mm-hmm. and walking alongside people. Mm-hmm. But I, it makes me laugh because that was not my archetype. So personally, mm-hmm. I was a, I, and so for a time, if you recall, even with our strategy, we had two archetypes that we kind of landed on because we were wrestling back and forth with. And the only person who was wrestling was me. <laughs> so I, I actually, I, I've come to embrace the vis- visionary citizen archetype for the Community Foundation mm. because it's true mm-hmm. and, and real. And that I think is a really, that's a statement that goes to culture. Yeah, It's true, it's authentic, it's real, or you're faking it. It's not culture. Yeah. Boy, and there's a whole nother podcast we're going to need to record right now because (laughs) um, maybe next month. But this idea that, you know, can an organization have a certain culture or archetype and the leader be different than that? And how do you show up leading an organization that that really is different than we are? Um, So that's January, friends. Okay, we'll get there. Um, So in our work, we've we've really come down to these eight concrete methods um, that help companies go about shaping culture in a strategic direction. And a few years ago, I was really lucky to work with Sam uh, in an effort to weave culture and strategy together. So um, at the risk of oversimplification, if you know that the strategic direction of a company must arc toward innovation, then obviously it makes sense to attempt to shape the behaviors and habits, um, both above the waterline and below the waterline, in the direction of that innovative strategy. So can either of you think about 
a concrete example of how you've attempted to wed culture and strategy together, almost so they can be propellant for each other. Little ways are fine. Big ways are great, too. Um, Do you have any? Uh, Yeah, and actually it sort of um, piggybacks on what I was saying before about having that designer mindset. so we have these modular products, modular systems that um, we have built in-house. It responded to a need that our designers had, these stage products to put in their designs. And then we realized there was a real need in the industry. Um, and so this started a whole new segment of our business. Yeah. Um, and when we first started designing them, and I say we as Atomic, I am not the designer designing these, but we have very um, intelligent designers working on them. Um, in the beginning, it was very uh, quick process. It would go, you know, right from idea to prototyping instantly, and then talk to the marketing team, and we'd get it out, and it would be a very fast process. As we've grown, and we've needed to put more process around that just to make it more stable and to run it well and have it be a smooth machine that's running, it slowed down the process a little mm. bit. But that takes away from the excitement and the inspiration, mm. and you know, wanting to just get things out into the the world so it's really looking at then the culture of well how do we keep that spirit of invention and creativity but also have the processes in place so that it's smoothly running yeah that's a great one yeah so weaving them together so if you had just been thinking about the strategy with devoid of the culture you probably wouldn't be where you are today um, with you know a more stable process that's going to right something um, that's sustainable faster yeah right. yeah <laughs> excellent that's a great example you know, we, 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 you mentioned innovation, mm-hmm. uh, and we talk a lot about innovation at the Community Foundation yeah. these days. And again, it's an interesting irony. Um, and it's been 12 years for me. And, you know, the, the organization of the past, the Community Foundation of the past, I wouldn't describe as innovative. They did a lot of really good things, but they weren't innovative. And I think so it all kind of, kind of these, these points start to come together where your culture is actually shaped by the people there may be things that that trail from the founders. Our founder was Martin Harnish in 1924. Okay. Um, and, you know, it was founded on community generosity. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there is a thread that runs all the way back to 1924. Uh, but but as you, as new people come in and, and take fresh eyes to a problem and to circumstance and to culture, um, you notice things and you start to gravitate. People who who are like you start to gravitate with you. And so we, about 10 years ago, started talking a lot about innovation. And at the time it was odd because we weren't very innovative. And we launched a project we, we called the Creative Solutions, the AHA project, yes, uh, Creative I, yeah. Solutions to Real Problems. Yeah. And we were really looking to encourage the nonprofit sector at the time to think outside the box, to adopt new business models, to try new things. Maybe something that had worked in Albuquerque would work here, mm-hmm. or maybe it was brand new, invented here, um, and to do things differently. And we were going to be first dollar in, which is odd, unusual and odd for a community foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, as we did that, it was kind of that self-fulfilling propellant yeah. uh, situation where we we knew in ourselves the individual leaders around the table we had a bent toward individual in, innovation mm-hmm. and we were doing this project that was innovative and pushing people to be innovative and we knew we had to embrace innovation ourselves mm-hmm. and we so we worked by holding up innovation and fearlessness mm-hmm. as values 
we worked to cultivate that as part of the culture of the community foundation. Now it's like, we could, we couldn't get rid of it if we wanted to get yeah. rid of it. It's part of every conversation that we have. It, it like shows up everywhere and we're stretching and we're trying new things and we're always testing. And if we stopped, I think everybody'd leave because that's why they're there. Yeah. They're there to, to create new things and you know build tomorrow. Yeah, it's so inspiring for companies and organizations that feel like they're stuck with the culture that they have to hear stories like the ones that you just described where actually you changed your culture. Um, there might have been a, a glimmer of innovation in there, but you figured out what to do more of, what to continue, what to expand, maybe even what to stop so that you could lean into that. Well, I think it's really important as as leaders as thinking about it, as you change culture that you will it, it is not an easy thing to do. Yeah. That there are rough edges and there are there are people who will not, who will, will say that's not the culture. Yeah. And who will eventually s- separate. Mm-hmm. It's different, you know, as a community foundation our work is the community and and shaping culture in the community. Uh, people come and go in the community, but we don't pick them. We, you know, we, we, the community is the community Mm -hmm. and we serve Lancaster County. So our job there is a little different. It's, it's really looking for those bright spots, those, those, those things that we can latch onto and that we can lift up and hold up, shine the the mirror on and then get people to talk about and live into. Mm -hmm. And and, uh, so that's, it's, it's somewhat similar, but different in Mm -hmm. culture shaping in a community setting. Yeah. I think in many ways it's more challenging. Um, It's not sort of a discrete pool. Mm -hmm. Um, It's anyone who comes and goes. And so what you're describing in the literature is called positive deviance. And so in culture shaping, what, what you can do is you can identify who is deviating from the current culture, but deviating in a really positive way that's in the aspired direction. So you identify these positive deviants and then you reward them and you shine the light on them. And the way the foundation does, they make little videos about them and (laughs) make them viral and have incredible social media about it. Um, So so that is this notion of really trying to celebrate the positive deviants and that becomes contagious um, and starts to shape a culture in a certain direction. We know that real culture is shaped almost as one might create a movement. It requires intention, patience, subtlety, modeling behavior, celebrating positive deviance, uh, careful use of language, smart aesthetics, and leveraging of referent power. To some degree, it is less like creating a new initiative than it is gently molding or retooling, weaving, reinforcing, and encouraging. There are many ways to shape a culture, but I'm curious if you would be willing to share a favorite culture-shaping method with our listeners. Do you have a favorite, Sam? I don't know that you I like have them a all. favorite. I yes. like every, I, I like... I like focusing on culture uh, on a regular basis, I guess. But my, I guess one thing that I, I think that's fundamental to the way I individually have have shaped culture uh, over the, my my career mm-hmm. is understanding the uh, the value of relationships and communications and tr- trust building through deep relationships, not just the work. So really working intentionally with my board and with my team 
to have opportunities, intentional opportunities to get to know people at a level where they're building trust with each other so that when they're in the environment of getting things done or in the environment of, of dealing with pressure or crisis, there's a, there's a trust built that's beyond work. And it takes extra time, extra effort, lots of communication, and it and tending to consistently with our team and our board because there's, you know, like, like any other organization, there's, there's transition. So we have 12 people on the team. If we have two leave in a, a year and we add two, that's a big chunk of our team and making sure that we're, re, you know, just revisiting things and welcoming and bringing them, inviting them in, inviting their perspective. I think those deep relationships and that trust-building aside from the work, is really important for what we do. Absolutely. Don't you sometimes wish you could you could see the ROI mm-hmm. on that trust building, you know, because I'm fascinated by that. It's it, I, it's so important. I, yeah. I think it's it's in, probably impossible to measure. It's definitely, it's impossible <laughs> to measure in the environment that, that I work in. Yeah. But it's palpable. It's, yeah. vis, it's visible and it's present in every project that we manage in crisis, in, in, in the good times and the bad times. So really that, uh, I think that the depth of relationships, and again, it has to be sincere. It has to be honest. If, if you're not that type of leader and you're not that type of person, it's probably not the method that's going to be work best for you. Mm -hmm. So you have to find, you know, how you authentically connect to your team and to your culture. Mm -hmm. That is a great one. Chloe, do you have a favorite? Well, I was just going to say that challenge never ends, especially as business grows. It becomes more of a challenge. Mm -hmm. And and not just the leader connecting with the team, but everybody on the team connecting together. Right. Yeah. What would you say your favorite culture-shaping method is as Um, you look at all of them? (laughs) Yeah, well, I feel like the the obvious one is the shared vision and purpose, Mm -hmm. making sure that you've intentionally said this is our purpose and everybody's on board. Um, but to follow that up, I would just say like conversation, 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 like constantly mm-hmm. talking about the vision and purpose mm-hmm. and not not just your leadership team or managers telling other people about it. Um, but what Atomic has, which I think is the coolest thing, um, we have what well, we call it the wheel team. And the wheel is what we is our visual that includes our vision and purpose, um, which comes loosely from Simon Sinek's golden circle. Yeah. Um, so with our purpose right in the middle, our why. Um, and our wheel team is a group of people from across the company in all different roles. And they're having really important discussions about, well, how do we integrate this into our day-to-day? Not just talk about it as words on this visual image that we have, but actually, you know, how does our work that we're doing each day contribute to this? And they're the ones that are then sharing it with the, the company and figuring out the rollout plans and that kind of thing. Mm, I love it. Yes, it's taking it uh, from sort of this high altitude level straight down into behavior. What do we need yeah. to start doing? What do we need to continue doing? What do we need to stop doing so we can live into the wheel? Mm-hmm. Excellent. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Chloe and Sam, for being part of this movement of helping world changers enhance their individual and collective team performance. Thank you listeners for downloading The Behaviorist, and we hope you'll subscribe. Please reach out to us through our website, workwisdomllc.com, where you can enjoy Work Wisdom Press and Work Wisdom Productions, ask questions, and make suggestions of topics you'd like us to explore in future episodes. 
as is our high-performing habit, which reinforces our culture, I will leave you with some one-minute wisdom from Anthony DeMello. There are reformers, and then there are reformers. One type lets action flow through them, while they themselves do nothing. These are like people who change the shape and flow of a river. The others generate their own activity. They are like people who exert themselves to make the river wetter. Thank you.